Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Philippians, The Fellowship of the Gospel, with a message entitled, Praying for the Fellowship. So turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. There's something utterly fantastic about room service in a luxurious hotel. Simply pick up the phone and whatever you want, well, they get it. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, just a phone call away. If you arrive on a plane and your clothes look a bit wrinkled, call room service. And someone shows up and picks them up only to deliver them back to you in better shape than the day you bought them. Don't know where your next meeting is? Call room service and a taxi will be waiting for you at the door and shuttle you across town and and room service will also arrange for the one on the way back. You know, nobody really thinks that prayer is like that. If you do, just try it. You'll find out that God is not a divine bellhop. Even though some people claim he is, they're not telling you about the times they didn't get what they wanted. And I was reading Psalm 88 in my devotions the other day, and it's, it's one of the most depressing psalms in the Bible. The psalm opens with one of the sons of Korah crying out to God because his soul is full of troubles, and then in the middle, he asks God why he is hiding his face from him, and then in the end, he simply says, God, you've caused even my friends to shun me. And with that, the psalm simply ends, just prayer and despair, and that's it. And I mention that because I have noticed that there are times in my prayer life when miracles are everywhere, and there are times when it just feels that God has hidden his face from me. And even if you don't have the theology that helps you acknowledge and understand that, your involvement in prayer will tell you that is the case. And that's why anyone with experience in prayer will tell you that God is not like a divine bellhop, not like room service at all. You know, for some, this makes our prayer life seem less than joyful. It seems like a gamble. Sometimes you get what you ask, and and sometimes you don't. Sometimes the bellhop shows up in your room, and, and sometimes he just doesn't show. It seems frustrating. But when you read the stunning promises of prayer in our Bible, we get a very different picture. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And that sounds like a 100% answer to our request. Ah, room service is back. But here's the catch. You have to ask according to his will. And here's the problem. We don't know the will of God at all times about everything. So we're back to this hit and miss problem. And you know, when most of us pray, we pray very specific requests. I have a list of what I think are the top six prayers I've heard from people in my ministry life. Number one, prayer for family members. Two, healing from illness. Three, financial stability. Four, restored broken relationships. Five, a grouping of prayers around success, like success in exams or degrees or work or business and so forth. And six, prayers regarding safety, like when we travel or in other matters like that. Those six, I would think, constitute by far the majority of all of our praying. There's nothing at all wrong with praying like that. Indeed, we should continue to pray about these matters, for God knows what his children need, and he is not reluctant to care for us. After all, we should pray about everything. 
But around these six matters, we really don't know the will of God all the time. And so we find ourselves with the same problem. Sometimes our prayers get answered and sometimes not. So, so what's the solution? Well, Don Carson says many of us devote most of our praying in private and in public to personal matters removed from gospel interests, he says. So what if the advancement of the gospel, the glory of God, honor to the name of Jesus, and the health of his church were always front and center to what we prayed? What would our prayers sound like then? Now, we've been studying the book of Philippians, and we've come to realize the theme of this amazing book is fellowship or a partnership in the gospel. Paul and the church in Philippi are sharing a common vision to bring the gospel into the heart of the Roman Empire. And so they join forces for a common vision, a partnership to advance the gospel. Now, in truth and ideally, every local church was begun by Jesus to be a partnership in the gospel. That is... It is our goal to partner with each other in order to advance the gospel into our cities, provinces, and our culture as a whole. And when we think of missions, we think of how we might advance the gospel globally. And so we should understand the partnership we find in this letter. We've also noticed that at the time of the writing of this letter, Paul was in prison in Rome and that a man has arrived at his prison, a man by the name of Epaphrodites. He's brought a gift from the Philippian church to take care of Paul's needs while he is in prison, and his presence and encouragement strengthened the partnership of this church with Paul. And in response to their gracious gift, Paul writes them this letter, the letter of the Philippians, as a kind of thank you note, and gives it to Epaphrodites to take back and be read to the entire church when he gets home. And as we have seen, Paul begins by recording his prayer to God, overwhelmed with thankfulness in every remembrance of this godly church, these godly men and women in this church. Well, that's great. Paul has been praying for the Philippians with great joy. And by the sounds of his prayer, he doesn't sound like a man frustrated in his experience of praying. In fact, he is confident that God will give him exactly what he wants. And that leads to a question. What was he praying for? And if we can answer that question, it might help us understand what we should pray for when we pray. But before we look at the details, might I ask you a searching question? Do you pray for your church? And when you do, what should you pray for? So let's examine Paul's prayer. And I'm reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I know that's a very short prayer, but in fact, it's shorter than you think. If you look closely, you'll discover that the content of Paul's prayer is found in verse 9 alone, and then verse 10 has two opening words. The words are, so that, meaning that having prayed the prayer Paul prays in verse 9, he now knows with absolute certainty that God will give him exactly what he has asked for, so much so, Paul is certain that when God answers his prayers, that verse 10 and 11 will happen. So let's look at his prayer again, and after we've done that, let's look at the expected answer to his prayer. Again, let's look at the prayer in verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, at first glance, this may surprise us. No specifics here, just generalities. 
Now, Paul doesn't say, oh, and, and Lord, Brother Lucius has been diagnosed with cancer. Could you heal him? And, and Sister Euodia is in need of enough money to make her mortgage payment. See, nothing like that at all. In fact, at first glance, this prayer sounds a little like, well, Lord, bless them. What in the world can that possibly mean? This prayer is hopelessly general, and we have been taught to pray specific things. But if you look a little closer, this is a profound prayer and a great model as to how we can pray for our local churches. Notice, first of all, that Paul prays for love. And there is here no object to the word love, as in, I pray that you would love God more, or I pray that you would love each other more, just, I pray for your love. That is, that your love might abound, meaning, I pray that your love would reach some wonderful high water mark on the love scale, and then that it would pass that high point excessively, and that your love would exceed itself over and over and over again. Uh, Notice he's not criticizing them for a lack of love. He's not saying that they should learn to love each other. He, in fact, acknowledges that they have love, that they have demonstrated love, both to each other and to Paul in prison. But for Paul, that's not enough. He wants their love to grow to ever-increasing levels. Listen to Romans 13, verse 8. There Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Here Paul says, You ought not to be indebted except in this one area where your debt should be growing exponentially. You ought to be constantly paying on the debt of love. I mean, think of it this way. Imagine a husband saying to his wife, Honey, we have this wonderful relationship, you and I, and we've now reached the pinnacle of our love, so I've decided that there's no reason to add any more love to our marriage. After all, we're full up on love. There's no more room for any more. Well, you know, and I know, that's absurd. Love, if it is to be love, must always grow. There cannot be too much love. Instead, Paul says, more love, more love, more love. God, I pray for more of this. Now, when we come back, we're going to say more about successful praying and why this forms the basis of great prayers that are always answered. The first half of today's program has given us some great insight into the heart of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. As Christians, learning to pray well is something we must pursue throughout our life. These words remind us of why we should pray, for not only our personal needs, but for our churches, for our brothers and sisters in the context of growing in love and faithfulness to God. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld will show us some key principles of how Paul's prayer for this church can shape our own prayers today. In Dr. Neufeld's recent blog post concerning the COVID-19 pandemic, he challenged us to consider the words of Psalm 91. So let's reflect on just two sections of that psalm. Beginning at verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And verse 14, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. 
You know, in the midst of uncertain times, trust in the God that loves his children beyond measure. For more information about Back to the Bible, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Have you ever wondered what we should pray for when we pray for our local church? Well, Paul answers, pray for excessive love. Notice now he adds the words, with knowledge, in verse 9. Love never exists in a vacuum. There's always a context to it. You know, we can talk about love between a husband and a wife or a a mother and a daughter, a brother and a sister, or so forth. And whenever we talk about love, we need to define the context, and that's exactly what Paul does here. I want your love to grow accompanied by both knowledge and discernment, he says. Now, several comments about knowledge. First, whenever Paul speaks about knowledge, he's not speaking about knowledge in general like knowledge about cell biology and automobile mechanics and NHL hockey and the best practices and principles and leadership. I mean, knowledge for Paul is always specific, and he means specifically knowledge of God. Secondly, you'll remember that in 1 Corinthians, Paul was deeply concerned about knowledge that exists on its own or for its own sake. The context there was whether or not a Christian should be allowed to eat meat that had, before it went on sale in the public market, been offered to idols. And here's how he answers the question. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So in other words, to the Corinthians, Paul said that if you have a good theology and yet are lacking in love, all that knowledge will succeed in doing is inflating your ego. And all of us have seen that. People become masters in theology and knowledge, and they become arrogant, lacking in compassion, and look down on people who have not advanced to their level of understanding. But here in Philippians, Paul puts it another way. He prays that their love, which he prays will grow, will grow right alongside of their knowledge. Love by itself tends towards empty sentimentalism. Paul wants the Philippians to become masters in the Bible, in the knowledge of God, masters in understanding his attributes, that they grow in the basics of their faith. But when they do, they will become more loving than they've ever been before. So when he prays, he prays for the two things together, ever-increasing love with ever-increasing understanding of God. So when he prays, he prays for excessive love in the context of knowing God. But then Paul also adds the phrase, with all discernment. You know, discernment can refer to several things. Sometimes it refers to moral discernment. That is, when it comes to making choices that you choose to do the right thing. But discernment is a wider and broader category than that. It refers to all of life's choices. Look at it this way. What kind of choices do you make? Should I marry so-and-so? Should I enter medicine, for instance, as a career path? Should we move from Toronto to Montreal? Should I invest in the markets? But those are individual choices. What about the big choices a local church needs to make? Shall we build a new building? Shall we use our financial resources in this way or in that? How do we engage evangelism in our community? What kind of a Sunday school curriculum is best in our church? And how do we best disciple our children? What about our youth? But notice the context. Excessive love in the context of knowing God will lead us to make discerning 
decisions with a heart cry to glorify God in everything we do. So what do we pray for? Again, we pray for excessive love in the context of knowing God and in the context of making discerning choices for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. And that's the prayer. Paul didn't pray about their new evangelism program or whether their new bulletin format would work or or whether they should add another service to their growing ministry or start an extension campus. No, excessive love in the context of knowing God, in the context of knowing his purposes in all the decisions they make. It's a simple prayer, but Paul knew that's exactly what God wanted for them, and he prayed fully in line with God's will for their church. But what did Paul think would happen when he prayed that way? Well, Paul was completely convinced that God would answer yes to his prayer and that he would witness four things going on in Philippi in consequence of his praying. And here they are. Number one, they will be choosing what is excellent rather than what is merely good. Listen to verse 10a. So that you may approve what is excellent, he says. Let's have a look at how this works out in the Philippians. Consider Philippians 3, verse 7. Paul writes, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, as we go through this book, we will see that faithfulness to the gospel was going to have economic ramifications for the believers in Philippi. So, for instance, if you stop offering sacrifices to Caesar, the citizens of Philippi might boycott your coffee shop. You know, it's a good thing to make a living, but it is excellent to remain faithful to Christ. There are places all around the world where commitment to Christ might cost you your family, your job, your good standing in your community. All these things are good things, but Christ is excellent. But let's put that into our culture. Let's say someone has to make a choice on what to do when they retire. You know, so many choices. I mean, the only trouble is some of those choices will take them away from a ministry that God has given them and making an impact and changing lives and bringing a blessing to their local church. You know, it's a good thing to spend the rest of your days RVing the continent, but it's excellent to use your energy in the service and the glory of Christ. Good and excellent. Which do you choose? But Paul says, in any church that is filled with excessive love for Christ and each other, alongside of knowledge and discernment, the excellent is always preferred over the merely good. And that leads to another result. The second half of verse 10, Paul says, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, here's the issue. When you make choices, what motivates that choice? The eternal or the temporal? See, the short term or the long term? The applause of men or the applause of God? So Paul knows that when God answers his prayer, the Philippians will not only be choosing what is excellent, they will be choosing with their eyes focused on eternity. They will want nothing greater than to appear without blame before him in the final day. And still, Paul's not done. He also knows that the answer to his prayer will result in, according to verse 11, that they will be filled with a fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, Paul answers that later in Philippians 2 verse 15, where he speaks of them shining as lights without blemish in the midst of a twisted generation. Paul believes that in answer to his prayer, the conduct of the Philippian believers will be exemplary. Yes, they may be slandered in their city, but they will continue to act in keeping with the gospel. How we need that in the church today. We don't need to hear of another scandal or another believer acting reprehensibly or a local church making unethical decisions. 
And so Paul has anticipated three answers to his prayer. The Philippians will choose the excellent over the merely good. They will make choices with their eyes focused on eternity. And three, they will act with ever-increasing righteousness of character. But Paul expects one more answer to his prayer. See, he believes that when the history of this local church has been written, all will be, in his words, to the glory and praise of God. What happened in Philippi will reflect well on God. God will look altogether beautiful and delightful. Or what happened in Philippi will make God altogether famous and his deeds known everywhere. They will glorify God. Wow! How would it be if that happened in your local church? I'll bet that's exactly what you want. So let's learn to pray in Paul's way. Oh, Lord, make my church excessive in love, alongside of excessive in knowing you, and right alongside of excessive in making discerning decisions in which we will always choose that which is excellent over that which is good. Pray that way and watch what God will do. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us to pray after the order of Paul. And Heavenly Father, answer our prayers even as you answered Paul's prayer in his day. Amen. John, that's a powerful message today. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, sometimes there's personal conflict in our prayers, though. I become a little bit self-centered. I'm thinking about the things that are immediate, the things that I want God to take care of in my life. But what you're telling us is that we need to have perhaps more of a, a global perspective of what God would have for his people in general. Yeah, I think that's right. The, um, the question of what is the gospel implication of my praying has sometimes not occurred to us. So we, you know, we have prayer meetings and we actually have lists. I mean, and then we go through the lists and it's amazing how much health and, and personal well-being are a part of that. But as Don Carson said, they are often disconnected from the interests of the gospel. And we have to almost re-educate ourselves by saying, what is it that God is doing in the world? What is it that we are lacking in our approach as we come to God? So, I mean, this whole thing about praying for excessive love and discernment and all of those kind of things, I think those need to be central to our praying. And we'll be amazed at how much God is answering our prayers and how our praying begins to change things. Have you been encouraged or challenged to pray for your church and fellow believers in this way? In today's message, we've learned so much about the depth and wisdom in Paul's prayer. It points us to praying in a wider context rather than focusing on individual everyday needs. Join us again next week as we begin week two of this series on the book of Philippians. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Laugh Again, an associated ministry resource of Back to the Bible Canada, has had a profound impact on so many lives. In five minutes a day, Phil Calloway, through his special gifts of encouragement and humor, has opened ears to hear the gospel and offered a message of hope in difficult times. Sarah wrote, I love Laugh Again. It's family humor. It talks about things that we can all relate to without tearing each other down. Well, only weeks ago, Laugh Again introduced its newest program, Laugh Again Take Five, a five-minute weekly video program that can be seen online at laughagain.ca or on the Laugh Again TV YouTube channel. If there was ever a time to be encouraged, 
Check out Laugh Again Take 5 with Phil Calloway. For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit laughagain.ca.